want to thank your minister for his kind remarks, and we're pleased we're able to be with you today to bring God's word. And then, of course, there's that little matter at the end of my latest little grandson, Lincoln. And, of course, Joan and I take great delight in him, as do others here, I know. I was rather confirmed in the subject I've chosen to preach upon this morning by that last hymn. Stead upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. And sometimes it's good uh, when you have chosen to speak on a subject to find that someone else has chosen hymns that just fit in with what you have to say. We're going to read from God's Word as it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, just the latter part of the chapter from verse 6 down to the end. 1 Peter chapter 5, reading from verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We add our own amen. And we look to the Lord to bless the reading of his own most precious word. I want to take from my text this morning, verse 7, where Peter uh, addresses the believers and urges them to cast in all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Cast in all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The text, of course, takes for granted the fact that we're going to have to contend with care. Each one of us, whether we like it or not, in the course of our life, in the course of our Christian life, we're going to have to contend with anxious care. We know that is correct for our own experience, don't we? We are all quite aware of the many events and happenings which have caused so much care and concern particularly over recent years. All the problems that COVID threw up one way or another, cost of living increases, uh, businesses possibly closing down, all of these things. And of course, we're so well aware of what has happened in these past days with the death of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, to whom we all looked as a symbol of constancy and continuance in our nation. And a new king, coming to the throne. What does it all mean for our future? We are unsure. Where is our beloved province heading? 
It is troubled by many things. There's things we could go into that we would not deal with in the, pub, in the pulpit. But we know certainly, spiritually speaking, our land is not in a good place. As I think back to the days when I was young and attending Sunday school and going to meetings and mission halls with my parents, I look around and I see a country that has changed so much and it causes the believers concern. It causes us great concern, each one of us who know and love the Lord, from time to time have we thought of these things, have lifted up our hearts to the Lord and said, what is going to become of us? And that's even before we come down into our own lives and think of the concerns in our families, the things that happen, the things that life throws at us. We have so many burdens and so many uh, concerns. But what I can say is that while we might feel that our times are exceptional, we have to stop and to realize they're not. It has always been so. And no strange thing really has fallen upon us. For example, Bible scholars believe that one of the earliest books written is the book of Job. They would place it back in the earliest times of the book of Genesis. And what is it that we're told there in Genesis? Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We live in a troubled, sinful, fallen world. We have to face up to it. And from time to time, things come in upon us to remind us of that. It has always been the same. You, how, how do we understand the book of Job? Why was it written? Because remember, Job himself never really found the solution to why he went through what he did. We, we are given a peep behind the scenes. But he wasn't given that information. And I believe what the Lord was saying to us in that is that this sort of thing is going to happen. Right at the beginning of time, he's saying, you're going to face situations in which you will look for an answer, and in your day you may not find the answer. But there is an answer, but hidden from your view. Not so, of course, in those days. Think of Jacob, where he stands before Pharaoh and says, few and evil have the days of my, the years of my life been. We remember the, the trouble which caused him to flee from home. Problem in the home again. We, we think of the deception of his father having to flee. The threat of his brother uh, to kill him. We think of how he wrangled with his uncle Lebanon. We think of the grief of Rachel's death. And the years when he thought Joseph was dead. Joseph, the, the darling of his heart. He's gone, he's dead, and he says, all these things are against me. Can you picture that situation? Can you put yourself there? We think of King David, a great king, but think of how he had to flee from Saul. Remember those years? And then the problems in his own family and the problems in his own life. And you know, part of our difficulty is that we're not content to deal with the issues before us. But we have used the God-given gift of imagination to explore all the things that might befall us. Do you do that? I know that I do that. What's going to become of us in, a, in 10 years' time? What's going to become of our land? Where are we going? And so we try to explore the future and bring the, the troubles of 10 years or 20 years and try to wrestle with them now. Someone has said, you know what that's doing? That's invading God's province. The future is God's province. Remember that. 
And it does us no good to, to work in that sort of fashion. I'm trying to bear all that anxiety. It does us no good, but it can do us harm. I can remember way back quite some years ago now after I had a problem with the heart and had to get a stent, and I spoke to the doctor and said, well, what part does stress play in heart disease? Well, he says it produces a substance called fibrogen, which thickens the blood and makes it more liable to clot and blood pressure and artery and other heart problems. We think these things all upon ourselves, we're eaten up with anxiety. And what is it that the Lord says to us through Peter? We ought to do. Cast in all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You're familiar with that verse. Maybe some of you have it on a little plaque. It certainly used to be the place. It was the, the sort of verse you might find it on someone's wall. But sometimes the, the texts that we are familiar with we don't hear them speaking to us anymore. They're just uh, uh, common words, words we're familiar with. How are we to deal with our cares? Now, under this main heading, and a number of subheadings, just to make the structure clear. One thing we must learn, I would suggest to you, is that we must learn to submit to God's providences. We must learn to submit to God's providences. As verse 6 says to us, as Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's what I'm getting at. When events and circumstances go against us, we tend to fret and become anxious. Instead of which you must learn to submit to the way in which the Lord is taking us. I reiterate what I've said, certainly on other occasions. That we think of doing God's will as that which perhaps some young lady or young man does when they decided to go to Bible college, went to the ministry and become a missionary. But there's more to God's will than that. It involves also submission to the will of God as revealed in providence as God takes us into situations. That's God's will being revealed to us in a sense and we are meant to submit to it. That's what we're told here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What does that mean? Have you thought about that? Albert Barnes, the commentator, he says the text refers to calamities which God brought upon them or was about to bring upon them, represented here as so often as the infliction of his hand, the hand being that by which we act and do things. And he's saying when that hand came upon them, they were not to be lifted up with pride or with a spirit of rebellion against the Lord, but to humble themselves. Humble themselves under the, the mighty hand of God. To take a lowly place, just like Job did. The Lord giveth, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's, it's easier to say than to do. But it's what we're taught to do. To submit to God's pleasure. I remember many years ago, when I was in Bangor, I had an uncle, had two uncles who had been in the Belfast City Mission for over 100 years between them, and both well-saved men, and Uncle Willie, I'm named for those two men, William and Robert Anderson. I remember going to visit uh, uh, Uncle Willie. He was living in Bangor in retirement, and of course the news wasn't good. I went to see him. Another cousin was there, also well-saved, and we tried to comfort him. 
And of course, he says, look, it's all very well for you, sitting at the bedside and quoting verses at me. I've done the same myself. It's different when you're in the bed. And he was in trouble. I went away greatly perplexed. I, of course, returned to visit him again and found him instead in great peace. And I asked, what has happened to you? He said, well, I was afraid. I was, I was troubled. I was upset. I was wanted one of my sisters in with me. But then I came to the place where I said, Lord, it's all in your hands. I yield to you. And he gave me peace. Not easy to do. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm saying nothing of the sort. But I'm saying it's where peace is to be obtained. As one of our hymns puts it, Thou sweet, beloved will of God, My anchor ground, my fortress hill, My spirit silent for the abode, In me I hide me and am still. O will that willest good alone, lead thou the way thou guidest best. A little child, I follow on, and trusting lean upon thy breast. So do we endeavour by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, to submit to God's will. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's a tremendous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, if we'd look at each petition. Have we ever prayed it and meant it? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that involved? But there's more to it. The second sub-point on this first heading is, in our anxieties, we must pray. And as Philippians tells us, Philippians 4 verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. I'm not speaking about something strange and new to the Christian, the place of prayer. But sometimes, again, it's that which is commonplace that we forget or neglect. We're told, be careful or be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. It's speaking of an anxious care and teaches us that we must Rather than be taken up and eaten up and get ulcers because of our anxiety, take it to the Lord. What does James say? James 5 verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. We need to pray to bring everything to God in prayer. That's how we cast our care upon him. To come to the Lord with our burdens and tell him our anxieties and tell him, yes, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. Lord, I can't cope with this. But Lord, I want to come to you with with the problem itself and its consequences to me. I want to bring it to, to, to thee, Lord, and to pour out my heart like the psalmist before you. Just pour out your heart in tears if necessary. But just as they come, just pour out your heart before the Lord and cast your care upon him. It's what he wants you to do. And to be thankful for the good that he has done for us. We're told to do that also. Do need to quote the well-known hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. 
Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's think about that. Do we bring everything to God in prayer? Or do we wait until we have consulted everyone else and tried everything else? Then maybe, well, in desperation, then we're brought to pray. But then furthermore, the third subhead under this first point, the last two points will be much shorter, is there's the need for us to exercise faith in these circumstances. Do you remember what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says? Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. The hymn matches in with what I've got before me in my notes. Does that not mean something? The Lord is saying this to us. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Here is a promised believer, a promise of peace. A promise of perfect peace. Matthew Henry, he says, here is a promise of peace, of perfect peace, of inward peace, of outward peace, of peace with God, of peace of conscience, of peace at all times under all events. That's quite a statement. Henry brings it out really well for us. But there's one condition, isn't there? Trust in the Lord because he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Are you still resting on Christ? Are you thankful that no matter what happens, should the heavens fall, that you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ shed his blood to redeem your soul. Trust him. Trust the Lord Jesus and what he's done and the God who planned it and the Spirit of God who wrought it in your heart. Have you thought oftentimes of how God dealt with you before you were converted? How the Lord bore with you and put up with you and has done ever since? Can't you trust him? Trust in his finished work. Trust in his eternal purpose for the church. How often the ark of the Lord trembles. And we're tempted to put our hands to to steady the ark. But we can't do that work. This church is his church or it is nothing. And if it's his church then our business is to do what he has given us to do. And leave the rest with him. And his purpose does not depend upon the state of the world. It's not moved or shaken by the various changes which happen. All these things that trouble us and cause us concern. The Lord's purpose, the Lord's will, it it will be done in earth as it is in heaven. How can we take all our trials and troubles and concerns and bring them to the Lord? But then secondly, moving on quickly, I want you to think about the nature of the one to whom we bring our cares. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Sometimes we need just to stop and again just reiterate what we've said to read the verse again. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That should make you rejoice. 
That's reassurance, isn't it? He careth for you. He careth for you. O mourner in Zion, how blessed art thou, for Jesus is waiting to comfort you now. Fear not to rely on the word of thy God. Step out on the promise. Get under the blood. Why? Because he cares for you. The Lord's in control. The Lord's in control of all the issues. Those that are immediate to ourselves and the greater things. The things that we, uh, that we aren't aware of that we'll have to face sometime in the future if the Lord spares us. The Lord's in control. He cares for us. And as a child of God, we believe that his love was set upon us before we even had existence. Set upon us in eternity past. Set upon us when Christ died on the cross. Set upon us when he began to work out all things together for your eternal well-being, for his sheep, for his subjects, for his bride, for his children. The Lord careth for you. What, what statements we have of assurance there. What blessed comforts we have. He careth for you. We think of how in Psalm 136 verse 16 it says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. That psalm, of course, was sung at one of the events with regard to the, uh, Her Majesty the Queen being brought to lie in state. They sang Psalm 139. Even as an infant, even as a tiny infant, there the Lord's eyes were upon us. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unfinished, unperfected. And in thy book all my members were written, all that we are, we are all different. And the Lord is our creator and our eyes were, his eyes were upon us in the womb. And then he goes on, how precious also are thy thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than that can be numbered. The Lord thinks upon us. Here is care. Attend to with unerring knowledge. Who knows better than he? With almighty power. Who has more power than thee? By a goodness. A tenderness. A kindness. A patience. And a faithfulness that knows no bounds. Is that not sufficient care? Can you do a better job? No, of course, none of us can. Oh, if it was put in our hands, what a mess we'd make of things. He calls us uh, his, uh, our shepherd. He is our king. He is the church's husband. He is the bridegroom. He's the heavenly father. Of course he cares. And he tells us in Isaiah 43 too, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. There's a promise, believer. Grasp hold of it. Hebrews takes it up. Hebrews 13.5 For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it's very emphatic in the original. Who was it preserved Noah in the ark? Who was it restrained the lions and the flames that they shouldn't touch Daniel? 
Whose angel was it stood beside Paul in the storm? And who is it that has been with you in so many circumstances in your, in your life? Preserved you in every period of life, in every condition, in every distress. You think the Lord has cared for you so much to abandon you now? Having sought you out when you were his enemy? Will he forsake you now you are his friend? Think of, of Romans, what it says, Romans 8 verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's a tremendous verse again. It takes us to the cross. It says, look, he didn't spare his son. And then he puts it the other way around. It says, he delivered him up. And having done so much, having paid such a price, do you think your Savior is going to abandon you now? No. It cannot be. Be encouraged. This is the God to whom we can bring our cares, our burdens, our anxieties. Bring them to him. Bring them before him. Cry out your hearts. Pour out your hearts in his presence. And then lastly and briefly, why do we have to bear these cares? Why? Why are we taken this way? Maybe we're tempted to ask, but if the Lord cares for us, why do we suffer these afflictions? However, can we not reason from the word that these things are not evidence that the Lord doesn't care, but that he does care? Because we are children, but children under discipline. But children, nonetheless, my son, he says, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? It's the constant complaint about so many young people today. Their parents need to take them in hand. We're, we're the Lord's children. I know the devil will whisper in her ears that if God loved you, nothing would happen that you dislike or is unpleasant. But that's, that's, that's a lie. The husbandman prunes the fruit because he cares. The silversmith puts the gold to the furnace because he values it, wants it to be pure. Our trials should not make us think God does not care, but that he desires us to be as pure gold. He has redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ. He has purchased with a price beyond understanding his people and has a future for us that we can never fully appreciate in this present evil world. We we can't really understand the glory and the wonder of heaven we could try to i suppose we could talk about the wonderful music we think how we're told of that or or the wonderful sights we'll see in glory the savior especially so we we think of the, the 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 singing of the angels of all the redeemed what what a scene that brings before us but we still can't enter fully into it but this is what the lord has for you and he cares for us as zachariah 28 
He that toucheth thee toucheth the apple of his eye. He cares. And he's working with us to make us something. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. And without blame before him in love. The Lord is working with us, each one of us. We're bound for eternal glory. What a story we'll have to tell when we get there. But you know, sometimes we want to shortcut things. I can remember many, many years ago now, I'd go along with my now wife, of course, to uh, many missionary conferences, residential courses. Uh, uh, like Bill Woods would be there, James and Dory Gunning, Molly Harvey, others. And I thrilled to hear their stories, to tell how in the situations they were in and, and they cried to God and how God undertook for them in all sorts of amazing ways. I, I, we could speak endlessly of, of the thrilling stories of missionaries, but you know something? They had to go through those situations and prove God in them. You know, perhaps we're like some young men during the world wars. And what they would go out, they would go into army surplus and buy themselves a uniform and a set of medals and strut about the street. And if they were caught, they were jailed. That's the easy thing to do. But they didn't want to actually join up and go and face the enemy and maybe get shot and killed. Are we a little bit like that, perhaps? Very well to read about the Reformation heroes, Latimer and Ridley. Their bold stand as they were put to the torch in Oxford. Or the Covenanters and their stand, how we thrill to hear their stories. Or, again, the great missionaries of whom we have heard, those known to us and those we read about. But we have to face the battle for ourselves. And the Lord who was with them will be with us. And when you get to glory, you'll have much to praise him for. And you'll see more fully then than ever before the reason why. Why the Lord took us in directions that we would not have chosen for ourselves. As Job tells us, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Maybe there's some, of course, and your problem is that you're not right with the Lord. Let me say this to you. What, what would the Lord have to do in your life to bring you to a place of submission to him in love and mercy? If the Lord didn't care about you at all, he'd let you go on your way to hell. But maybe the Lord has done things to try and get you to stop and pay attention and call upon him. Get right with the Lord. Maybe that's what God's been doing in your life. How we need the Lord in these trying times. I trust that you have Christ as your Savior. You belong to him through all the things that we're going through and will go through in these days. I'm going to turn to hymn number 687, just the uh, first few verses.
There's a friend for little children above the bright blue sky, a friend who never changes. His love will never die. 687. We'll sing the first two verses as Carson and Grace and Lincoln come forward.